Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. The Pharisees came approaching Jesus. What was the topic they wanted to talk about? They want to talk about divorce. What does Jesus want to talk about? Marriage. Is there a difference? Oh, there's a big difference. So you understand, they come, they're looking for loopholes. He says, no, let's go back to the way it should be. Maybe some of you are here looking for loopholes. That's not what God wants. He wants you to go back to the original intent. God always talks about the positive. Satan is always looking for you to get as close to sin and get into it as possible. A successful marriage is built on love or faith or hard work or perseverance or compromise. The definition of a successful marriage differs depending on who you ask. But as a Christ follower, why would you need anyone's opinion but God's? Right from the beginning, God created man and woman to complement each other. And Jesus held fast to that ideal when the Pharisees pressed him about the issue of divorce. Jesus reminded them that God designed the covenant of marriage, but divorce was born out of man's will and hard-heartedness. The Lord designed this partnership to be a blessing, but the key to success? God at the heart of it. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, let's join Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 1, with part one of our message entitled, Building a Successful Marriage. teacher approached his class and there were a third grade class those of you that are teachers you can reflect on that and he said do any of you know or have any idea what God says about marriage in the Bible it's a pretty broad statement a little girl from the back Angie raised her hand quickly and she says I know what God says in the Bible about marriage and the teacher said well what does he say Here's what Angie said. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. (laughs) How many relate to that? That was for those of you that are single, just in case you want to know. During the next three weeks, as we approach the book of Mark in chapter 10, where we're at, we're going to be covering marriage, divorce, and the family. Today in our congregation... There's tremendous confusion about marriage and divorce. I love speaking on marriage. I've done it for many years. Divorce is really not my favorite topic. It's one of my least favorite topics. But since the Bible teaches it, we have the responsibility to share it. Sitting next to you this morning, we have a variety of people. Single, married, those that are separated, Those that are divorced, some multiple times. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're in the middle of an affair. You don't think anyone knows. Some of you are single and you're living with somebody. We have homosexuals. We have lesbians. In all of these categories, which approach the church today, in all of those categories there is Those people who are happy, 
Those people are frustrated. Some have given up. Some are hurting. I want to say this to all of you this morning. God loves you. Wherever you're at, God loves you. Don't feel condemned. There are no perfect people in this building. In fact, we're all just sinners saved by grace. You see, nothing is too difficult for God. And the, the privilege I have this morning is teaching the Word. Because when the Word is taught, there's hope. Man, there's hope for your situation. So it doesn't matter if the person next to you has been married 27 times and divorced 27 times. You're still a sinner too next to them. You may have been just more fortunate. Maybe you came to the Lord earlier. Don't all of us wish we'd have come to the Lord earlier. But wherever you are, God loves you. Now, let's look at chapter 10, verse 1 in Mark. Now, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. So Jesus leaves Capernaum in the north and heads south to Jerusalem. This will be his last time as he heads toward the cross. And notice when he leaves, he is followed or picked up at wherever he goes with crowds. And that's because when Jesus spoke, he spoke hope. He didn't condemn people. He gave them hope. Whenever you can give people hope, they'll come and listen to you. Because people don't want to be shouted out. They don't want to be condemned. They don't want to be screamed at. They want to know that somebody loves them and there's hope in their life. And that's exactly what happens. The second thing, notice what it says there. It's very important. What was his custom? His custom was teaching the Word of God. I also believe, and I think it's evident, that when you teach the Word of God, people will come. They want to know the Word of God. They're hungry. They want to know how it fits in their life and how they can make life make sense. And that comes through the teaching of the Word of God. As we address marriage and divorce in the family, we are going to be teaching God's Word. I'm not teaching this morning Calvary Chapel stance. We don't have one. I'm not teaching this morning Mark Balmer's stance. I don't have one. I'm teaching you the Word of God. This is not a church. This is not a denomination. This isn't a personal thing. This is the Word of God. You see, you want to know what God's Word says. Now, as we go through this, we'll hit divorce. It's a very difficult subject. And in that area, there is some room for different ideas. Wonderful Christians are in numbers of camps. I'll present those views for you next week, but basically give you mine. And that will be the only disclaimer. Not that mine is right, but what I've come to believe over the years. Verse 2, now some Pharisees came and tested him by asking... Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Didn't take long for the religious Pharisees, who was the leader of the religious Jewish church, to find Jesus. Why? Well, number one, they were fearful of Jesus. The reason they were fearful of Jesus was because he was very popular. Now, the reason he was popular is what I just said to you. The Pharisees condemned you. They would have not sat next to you this morning and said to you, the person next to you, I'm no better than you. In fact, here's what they would have said. 
I'm better than you. Because I'm holy, I'm special, you are boring, average, sinner, no good. Well, how many like to be around those kind of people? Not much. So that's why Jesus was popular, because he brought hope. These brides brought condemnation. Secondly, the reason that the Pharisees didn't like Jesus was because he didn't pull any punches. When he saw sin, he named it with compassion, but he named it. So he would say to the Pharisees, your entire religious structure is useless. And by the way, much of our religious structure today in the world is useless. It's filled with sin. All kinds of stuff that aren't biblical at all. So Jesus did that. The Pharisees hated it. Now, why did they come to Jesus? Look what verse 2 says. Look, it says they came to do what? To test him. To test him. See, they didn't care what Jesus believed. They didn't care at all what Jesus believed. What they wanted to do was to find somebody who believed like they believed. And you may be here this morning the same reason. You don't care a thing about what I'm going to teach. You're looking for somebody to agree with what you believe. And you're going from church to church to church to find that. Will you find somebody in a church that will finally believe the way you do? Probably. But if it isn't based on the Bible, you're being deceived. So they came to test. They weren't interested at all in the truth. And many people say they're seekers, but they're really not seekers. They're just looking for somebody to appease their conscience. Now, what they were trying to do was to get Jesus trapped to take sides. Here's why. Every Pharisee believed that the Old Testament taught that a man, a husband, could divorce his wife. Only a man could divorce his wife. Divorce was permitted. They believed that. Thirdly, whenever there was divorce, they believed if you divorced, automatically it implied remarriage. So there was no question about them divorce and then stay single. They believed in the Old Testament that you could divorce, only a man could divorce a woman, and that meant remarriage. Now the problem came, that was the whole Jewish system. All the Pharisees believed that. Everybody fell under that umbrella. But then we break into two camps. The camps argued about what constituted grounds for a divorce. In other words... Certainly we can get a divorce, but what grounds does that mean? And it came from a liberal side and a conservative side, which we'll talk about. So here's what they were trying to do. They knew that this whole group around Jesus was divided in one of those two camps, all this popular stuff. So they figure if we can do this, if we can get Jesus to state his side, which side he's on, then automatically it's going to what? It's going to split the group. And his popularity will be cut in half or whatever percentage of the people that were there. So if all of you from this side over here believe one way, and Jesus believed the other, then you would leave going, well, man, I can't really believe that, or whatever, and the same over there. So that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to split Jesus. Secondly, remember now, we're in King Herod's territory, since we've come down to Jerusalem. And there was a other prophet, a bold prophet, who was named John the Baptist. And he stood one time, and he said to King Herod, you're living in adultery. What happened to John the Baptist? You got it. He lost his head over it. So what are they hoping? Well, now, if Jesus speaks boldly enough, we're in King Herod's area. Hey, we can take care of the popularity of Jesus. We won't even have to lay a hand on him. The government will do it for us. So that's their reason for testing. Now let's see what, how Jesus responds. Verse 3. Well, what did Moses command you? 
he replied. In other words, Jesus doesn't even answer their question. He avoids it. And he says, let's go back to what the Bible says. Don't ask me, what does the Bible say? That's a wonderful piece of principle for you to understand today. When somebody asks your opinion of something, don't, don't give your opinion of something. Let's just go and say, well, what does the Bible say? You know who's great at that? If you listen to Billy Graham's sermon, he's always saying, the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says, and the Bible says. Why does he do that? Because that's the authority. It's not what Mark says, Calvary Chapel, First Baptist, Presbyterian, Catholic. It's what the Bible says. So Jesus says, well, what did Moses say? What were his writings in the Bible? Verse 4. Well, they said, did they know them? Yes. They said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So they responded, well, here's what Moses says. We know what Moses says. We want to know what you say. He says, well, no, I'm telling I want you to go back. What did Moses say? Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. That's the passage of Moses speaking in detail about marriage. Verse 5. Jesus says, well, Moses did it, but it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. So Jesus responds and he says, well, you're correct. Moses did permit you to divorce in certain circumstances. But the reason Moses made the exception and permitted divorce was not because that's what God wanted. It was because your hearts were hard. It doesn't start with a hard heart. It stands with a wounded and broken heart, and it just moves down this cascade, and I'll go through that sequence. The sequence, by the way, hasn't changed since then. So Jesus says, really, he says this, as he looks out among the Pharisees, the guys who are asking this, he says, the reason that Moses permitted divorce was not because that's what God wanted. It's because you were insensitive, your relatives. You were insensitive to the things of God. You wanted to fulfill your own selfish desires. And because of it, God allowed divorce instead of killing you all. He was gentle with you. Verse 6. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So Jesus says, now that you know there's an exception, you certainly know that, I, I want to go back to another writing of Moses. It's a book earlier than Deuteronomy. It's the book of Genesis. We're going back to basics. We're going back to family 101, marriage 101. In other words, we're going to go back to the original intent and design of this marriage. So what Jesus is really trying to say there is this, and I think it's very interesting as you look at it. The disciples were with Jesus. They're learning his positive way to approach things. What Jesus is doing is in total contrast to what the Pharisees are doing. The Pharisees came approaching Jesus. What was the topic they wanted to talk about? They want to talk about divorce. What does Jesus want to talk about? Marriage. Is there a difference? Oh, there's a big difference. So you understand, they come, they're looking for loopholes. He says, no, let's go back to the way it should be. Maybe some of you here looking for loopholes. That's not what God wants. He wants you to go back to the original intent. God always talks about the positive. Satan is always looking for you to get as close to sin and get into it as possible. Because he likes to deceive us. So Jesus is talking about the positive of his marriage. And marriage was God's idea. 
This is what Jesus is trying to say. That God designed this marriage. Now turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Keep your finger there in Mark. We'll be back in a moment. In Genesis, which is where Jesus approached the subject from, he says, let's go back to the beginning. Before there even was a home, before there was anybody, what, what do we have? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, and, and in verses 4, and 10, and 12, and 18, and 21, and 25, all of those verses end with this. And God saw that it was good. So, as God is creating all the animals, and the skies, and the trees, and man, at the end of it, he says this, and it was good. It was wonderful. It was great. Well, look at chapter 2, verse 18. After he creates man, he looks down, and God says this in verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Notice, suitable for him. This is the first time in all creation that God said something wasn't good. Now, did that mean that, you know, Adam, he looked at Adam and went, well, because <laughs> I have to scrap that one and start over again or whatever. Some of us think he should have said that maybe to us as we look at each other, but that's not what he, he's not saying. Well, Adam can't communicate. He can't talk. He doesn't have intelligence. He had all of those things. What was he saying? Well, you have to understand really what he's saying. If you want to picture Adam, we can picture Adam very interesting. And Adam is sitting here after he's been created, and he's on his front porch. And he's thinking, well, what am I going to do now? I'm here in this beautiful garden, got a nice house. It's cool. So he's bored. So God starts sending animals by. A, anteater. B, beaver. C, cat. D, Dog. E. Elephant, whatever. And as he's going by, by the way, he had no laptop. Just no book, how to name animals. Just naming them. As they go by, it's Mr. and Mrs. Anteater. Mr. and Mrs. Cat. Mr. and Mrs. Dog. Mr. and Mrs. Elephant. Adam goes, Mr. Adam. I'm missing something here. Uh, uh, God, uh, all these have partners. It's me, Adam. God looks down and he goes, Adam, you're alone, aren't you? And I said, I am alone. Now remember, Adam had God, but he had no human counterpart. So we see in that there's another creative act coming. God says it's not good. I will make... A helper suitable for him. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to man. You see, God would provide a helper, not a servant, not somebody less than man, but a partner. Someone to complement man. Someone to complete man. Someone that would be the same as Adam and yet make him full. Remember, before Adam had a wife, 
loneliness ruled. So one of the things, and we'll talk about it more toward the end of our teaching, that you need to understand is that marriage was designed to put an end to loneliness. Now you have to look at your own situation and say, is that happening? Is it really happening? Is, is there an end to loneliness? So you can imagine this basic building block of all society is marriage. This is what God's going to do. So what this scripture said basically is that Adam was in his house and he's laying on the king-sized bed by himself and God brought an anesthesiologist in and put him to sleep. And this is the first HMO in the Bible. And God came in, did a little surgery and Adam woke up and, you know, had this little twinge over here. And Notice it was a little funny, and that, as you, when you come out of anesthesia, you're always a little like, whatever, and he's laying in this king-size bed, you know, and he says, you know, there's something on the other side over here. And he looks over, and he goes, you know, anesthesia, am I, isn't it right here? And somebody looks like me over there. She looks just like me. Wow. And then he looks again, and he goes, well, she's not exactly like me. <laughs> and he goes, wow, way to go, God. Fantastic. This is going to be a great day. There's a few things that are not there, and there's a few things that are there. there there's some differences. <laughs> and we have Adam, and we have Eve. And this house becomes a home. And this home is created by God, which is called marriage, to be the foundation for all society. Don't forget that. This is the foundation for all society. There's no church. There's no church. There's no police. There's no government. There's no schools. There's just a home. That's the foundation. Now, I like my version better than Moses's, but I'll read it to you in verse 23. It says, the man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, don't you like mine better than Moses? Yeah, whatever. So we're going to talk about five areas of commitment that make a successful marriage. A successful marriage will be defined as this, living marriage, God's way. Living marriage, God's way. The first one this morning is this, committed to God and his plan. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127, verse 1. 127, verse 1. This principle that we're about to read is so important because it is a foundation that lasts for all time. Psalm 127, verse 1, and it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. So what that means, it applies in all of our lives, it applies for all time, it applies for me as an individual, it applies for this church, it applies for marriages. The Lord designed the marriage covenant for the primary reason of companionship and family. Today we heard Jesus confirm this intent when he countered the Pharisees' question about divorce with a commentary on God's design for marriage. 
It was only when man's sinful heart disrupted that union that divorce even came to be. As Pastor Mark reminded us, the way to have a successful marriage is to honor what God intended for us. Pastor Mark covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review. You can listen to today's message again by logging on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Or you can also call us toll-free. The number to call is 866-779-3441 to place an order for a CD. Again, that number to call is 866-779-3441. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. That's info at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Lessons for Living is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we will hear about the necessity of God as the third partner in a marriage. If God is removed from the heart of the covenant, the marriage will flounder. We'll see that it has to be more than just lip service, but also executed with obedience and commitment. Also covered will be the requirements of exclusivity, heterosexuality, and permanence in the marriage relationship. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right.